mess, God, all the trouble, God, all the mountain that seems to be in our way, Lord, would seem small because you're so big, Lord, that, that our stress would just seem so small, Lord, because your grace and your love and your steadfastness, Father, is above anything we can think or imagine. God, so I just thank you for this opportunity this morning to, to be in your word. Father, and I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would descend on this place, God, that we can do nothing of ourselves, God, we can have the eloquence of angels, Lord, and all the wisdom and faith from the mountain, Lord, but if we don't have love, God, if we don't have your spirit working in us, Lord, that we are nothing, God, and so I pray, Father, that this morning would be more than words, would be more than thoughts and, and good deeds, God, but that it would be of your presence, Lord, your grace that impacts us, and in Jesus' name, we pray and believe these things, amen. All right, you guys may be seated. Uh, my name is Luke, for those of you who don't know me, and I woke up with a sore throat and a cold this morning, so I've got some tea, and if I feel seem to get a little bit scattered, um, give me some grace, because, yeah, a little bit foggy this morning, so hopefully I can uh, stick with it, and I didn't do the headset, because I figured if I started coughing, I could save you guys from having to, having to hear that. So, this morning we're going to continue in the book of Ephesians, we're in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. The title of the sermon is Lord of All, and we'll get to why, um, that's the title here in a second, but to start us off, I'm just going to read the scriptures, you can read along with me in your in the Word, or we got it up, whoops, on the screen for you. I got it down here, Taylor. Oh, oh, okay. 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 All right. Uh, Ephesians 4, 6 through 7 says, there's one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all, but each one of us. Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Before we jump into the scripture, I just want you guys to think of a quick analogy. Um, imagine if you got a car, you bought the car, and you paid in full. Maybe it's $20,000, you wrote a check, you're a complete ownership of this car. So you go outside to drive to work or whatever, and you put your laptop in your car. Does your laptop all of a sudden... Um, is it all of a sudden owned by your car? Just because you put it in the car. Now, what if your car told you, now that your laptop's in your, I own your laptop. I'm going to try to use your laptop. I'm going to take the laptop where I want to take it because since I'm a car and the laptop's now in the car, therefore I am the possessor of the laptop. That would make no sense, right? You're the owner of the car. car can't even do things with the laptop. That just because your laptop goes in the car or you go in the car doesn't mean that your car is the owner of what is inside of it because you own it. You're the one who paid for it you have it in your possession. Or maybe a more realistic example would be somebody who's built a car, maybe from scratch, whether it's a manufacturer or if you're skilled in that sense where you could build a car. You put a bunch of money into it, really worked on this thing, you got ready to drive and you need to go to the grocery store, you gotta go to Walmart. And you started driving to Walmart and your car took you to Texas. That would be pretty disappointing, right? Because you built your car to take you where you needed to go, you built your car that you needed to go to the grocery store, go to work, and all of a sudden your, your car that you built and you made for a purpose is driving itself to Texas with you in it. That would not be a good thing, right? Well, what we're going to talk about here is sometimes I like going backwards in Scripture. And we're going to start a little bit in verse 7 before we get to verse 6. But because the title of the sermon is Lord of All, I just want to make this point right off the bat. Is that God, he is really um, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. He really is. He is really above all. And he's really through us all. And he's really in us all. He's talking to the believer, not, not necessarily everybody, but he's writing to the believers in Ephesus that, that God is in them. 
that there's nothing that we have that isn't really technically on loan. That God has given breath into us, especially given us the Holy Spirit, that we don't get to use the Holy Spirit or use our gifts just any way we want to. That God is not only the Lord of our salvation, He's not only the God of the universe, but He's the God of the gifts that He has put in us individually. And when you look at verse 7, He says that we've been graciously giving, given to us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And one thing I want to clarify before we jump into the gifts of the Holy Spirit and some of that this morning is the difference between a gift given by the Holy Spirit and a gift that's just been given by God's provenial grace. Because if you think about it, I can't take a drink of my tea if God hasn't given me the strength to do that. But I don't have to be a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit to take a drink of my tea. There's things that God just allows us to do because he's given us his grace. And Matthew says that the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. It's just, there's things that God has done that it, it doesn't, that you don't have to be a Christian to be a great athlete. You don't have to be a Christian to um, have great musical talent. There's things that God has given us that are, that are physical gifts, and they're still from him, but they're not empowered by the Holy Spirit. Those are two um, very different things. That The gifts from the Holy Spirit are according to the measure of Christ's gift. They're according to the measure of Christ. There's something that we could never do if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. That, that there are literally miracles being done through us. I'll never forget um, when I was I was saved for like a week and a half, and all my friends thought I was faking it and thought that um, I just like God got to completely turn my life around. You know, we were in the living room, and I had like four or five of my best friends, none of them were believers, and they were just grilling me with questions about the Bible, about my faith, and I just started answering. Every single question was scripture I'd read like one time. And it was just like coming out of my mouth. And I left that meeting, or whatever it was, and just thinking like, what the heck just happened? And it wasn't because I was smart. It wasn't because I spent a lot of time memorizing the Bible. It was something the Holy Spirit did that was completely a part of anything I could have ever done. That that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit does things that are absolutely impossible if it wasn't for him. They aren't just things that we can be good at or become skilled um, but they are things that have been given by his grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. I think this is really important we grasp that because we can spend our whole life thinking that my spiritual gift is I'm organized. And not that it's a bad thing to be organized, but we're missing out on the real measure of Christ's gift that he's put in us. That we have to realize there's a difference between the miraculous power done by the Holy Spirit and something that we're good at. And even in the sense of being organized or maybe a gift such as service, there's a big difference between someone who's just good at serving and someone who's been filled with the Holy Spirit and anointed by God to serve. It's different. And if you're around the two, I've been around the two, and they're nice people who can do nice things, but then there's somebody who, who does basically the same thing but in the power of God, and it's completely different, and it's way more encouraging to people around them, and it is a testimony to Christ because it's different than what the world offers. Um, I want to look at the gifts. We talked about what are the gifts. Now, I don't, I'm not saying God is limited necessarily to these. We can... Talk about them later if you want, um, all this kind of stuff. But just off the bat, in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4, 11, there's a bunch of gifts listed. Talks about words of wisdom, talks about words of knowledge, talks about faith, gifts of healing, workers of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, mercy, different kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership. And then um, in Ephesians 4, 11, it talks about um, leadership offices that are... Um, gifts from the Holy Spirit and apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. And when we look at the gifts of the Spirit, he doesn't say, and to, I'll back this up. 
he doesn't say, and to the special Christians or the ones who have really read their Bible, grace was given according to the measure of Christ. Yeah, he says to each one of us that as soon as you're saved, it doesn't necessarily mean you know what your gift is yet or what gifts are in you. But when you're saved, gifts from the Holy Spirit are in you, right at salvation. But this is something that to each one of us that has been saved, there has been a measure of Christ that's been put in every single person in the body of Christ. And the cool thing about this is in Romans 11, 29, it says, For the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, what Christ has put in us, we didn't do anything. That week that I was saved, I didn't do anything for that to happen to me. God just did that. That what God has put in us, it's not by our effort. It wasn't by how much we studied the Bible necessarily. It's nothing that we've done. But on salvation, the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. He's put it in us by his grace, not because he had to, um, but because he wanted to. And now to find out what those are, they don't just all, all of a sudden fall into our lap. But it's something that as we follow Christ, we begin to discover what he's already put in us. It's not something that we're just going to necessarily develop. But Jerry talks about this all the time. We've got to help discover what's in each, each one of us that through discipleship and through the body and through our time with the Lord, he starts to reveal what he put in us way back in the beginning. It's not necessarily a new thing, but it's what he put into us um, as we were saved. And these are things that, that he really won't take back. But the important thing coming back to the, the title of the sermon is, is God is Lord of all. And that the gifts are useless outside of lordship. If they're not aligned with God, and they're not aligned with his purpose, and they're not aligned with his structure, if they're not aligned with his plan, these gifts are useless. It's like your car, having the best car in the world that you put all this money into, built, and it wants to take you to Texas every time you need to go to the grocery store. That would be useless. It'd be more of a pain than it would be a good thing. Or if you put your laptop in your car, and your laptop, or your, your car wants to own your laptop. Now, I'll just get a different car if my um, car's always trying to steal my stuff as soon as I put it in it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be helpful. It'd be more, do more harm than it would good. In the same way, if our gifts are not used under the lordship of, of Christ, we're going to do ourselves and really others more harm then we're going to do them good. <clears throat> Sorry, Bill was acting up there. If we go to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, it really sums up this point. He says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? That can't get much clearer. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price... Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He's the owner of all. He's the owner of our body. He's the owner of our spirit. He is the owner of everything. And we are not our own. You know, one thing in our culture, really, I think is creeping into the church a little bit, is we're always on this bend of find yourself. You know, find yourself, find yourself, find yourself. Now, we do in Christianity, the, the hard thing about that statement, that's like 90% true. But what do we mean when we say that? See, the only way to find ourselves is to first not look at our gift, not look at what we're good at, but we've got to look at the price that was paid in order for us to be God's. He says, for you were bought at a price. We're not our own just for the sake of not being our own. We're not our own because we've been purchased with a price. And I think the Lord was really showing me, I got to look this up here, um, when we find him, when we find Christ, you will find yourself in him. And when you know you are in him, you will know your gift and find your identity and the price he paid. And the point of this is 
if our eyes are always on ourselves or finding ourselves, we're going to lose ourselves. That's Luke 9, 24. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. When our eyes are on Christ and we're finding out who he is and knowing him more and more and he's knowing us more and more, we're going to find ourselves really easy. It's not going to be that complicated because we are found in Christ. We look back at Ephesians 1. We were called out. What were we called out into? It says that um, in him we were predestined to adoption as sons. You look at that first, I can't remember how many times that first 11 or 12 verses it says in him. That our whole point has been to be in him. So how are we going to find ourselves? Well, we got to find what it means to be in him. And when we find what it means to be in him, finding ourselves and finding our gifting are going to start to become very, very simple. And I believe that a lot of times Christians become discouraged it is well as myself, is we start to find our identity in these things in our gifting. Of what are we giving to God? How obedient am I being? And we start to find our value in these things. But he says that we were bought at a price. When Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price for us, when he was crushed under the wrath of God on our behalf so that we could know him, what can we give him at that point? Nothing. We had nothing to give him. And what can we give him today? Still nothing. That when we go back to our gifts, our gifts were given by his grace. His price was given by his grace. And we find our value and our purpose because of the price he's paid, the grace that he's given. Then our gift doesn't become this burden that it's like, oh, we messed this up. We've just ruined our purpose with God. If we messed this up, man, I, I just don't feel like I can approach God. Instead, our gift is given as something that's encouraging and something that propels us and something that fills us in order to, to thank God and in order to, to do God not a favor in the sense of we um, owe him something, but, but in, it, in an effort to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we were called that we talked about a few weeks earlier. That Jesus did this for us, not because he needed something from us. He did this so that he could be with us. He did this so we could be in him. And he did this so we could have intimacy with him. And so when we look at gifts and we look at this aspect of the price that we were bought with, that just like that car that all that work and money and hours went into, in the same way, there's a lot that went into us knowing Christ. When you look at the price he paid, this wasn't something he just snapped his fingers and did. It cost Jesus a lot. He had to leave his heavenly father. He had to leave his heavenly riches and become poor and ultimately die on the cross in order for us to become his. And so the question that the Lord really asked me with all of this we talk about gifts, and we can get pumped about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Man, these are cool. Look at what Paul did. People are getting raised from the dead. People are speaking in tongues. It gets really exciting. But the thing that, that God brought me back to right away was this lordship thing. And then also, he just posed this question to me that I want to pose to you guys, too, is why do we come to Christ? When we really think about it, why are we after him? Why are we here this, this morning? Why do we read our Bible? Why are we um, spending time in prayer? And the thing the Lord really convicted me of, you know, are we after the anointing? Are we after the gifting? Are we after, even, do we love God because of his love? Because the thing that God was showing me, and now that I'm an expert in marriage, I've been married two months, not really, but um, one thing I found really quick in two months was if I just loved Sarah because I loved the way she loved me, that would be really up and down, because she's going to have bad days and I'm going to have bad days. If I just loved Sarah because I loved the way she served me, Again, up and down, but she does those things, but she's not going to be perfect in it, and neither am I. In the same way, if we just come to God because we love the way he loves us, we can love the way he loves us, but is that the only reason we come to him? Because what if we don't feel love? He's never going to let us down in his love, but there's going to be times we may not feel loved by God. There may come times where we feel like God's left us when he hasn't, 
But if we only love him because of the things he's doing or the gifts he's given, we're going to be up and down, up and down, up and down. And, and the thing the Lord really challenged me with this is do we come to him just for him? Do we really just love the person of Christ? You know, Nat talks about this scripture all the time that after Jesus fed the 5,000, they want to make him king like right away. But nobody like really came to him and wanted to know this guy. You know, and you think about Jesus, man, that would get old. People want you to raise the dead. People want you to teach them mysteries about the kingdom of God. But nobody wants to like sit down and get a cup of coffee and like know who they are. You know, in the same way that do we really desire to know Jesus just for who he is. If he never did another thing for us, don't we want to know this God who paid this price? And this God paid a price and we can give him nothing when we're enemies of him. We should just want to know him. I want to know him. And the thing that blows my mind, and we look at this grace, he's done all these things out of his grace. But yet at the same time, he's the God who's an all-consuming fire. There's this like holiness and this righteousness and this fear of God. And to me, that seems almost so opposite. He can be so kind and so loving, but at the same time, he's so holy and so righteous. You know, God is so big and he's so fascinating. Why would we want to just know something about him? Or why would we just want to know about a certain characteristic and never really take the time for our purpose just to know him? And so if there's any question I would pray that we could leave with this morning that could carry into our day-to-day life is really asking ourselves, why do we come to him? And I'm just promising us, if it's for any other reason than just to know him, we're just selling ourselves short. I mean, it'll be cool to learn about his love, and it'll be cool to learn about the Holy Spirit, and it'll be cool to learn about those things. But if it's anything else but just him, we're going to be selling ourselves short, really miss out on the greatest gift, which is him. So when we look at the whole picture of spiritual gifts, we see, like, it's got to start with his lordship. It's got to start with him being the God who's above all and all and through us all. Then we've got to see his grace, and we've got to see that no gift we have was because we earned it, that we've never started earning it, and we're never going to start earning it. It's not that we didn't earn our salvation, but now we earn our gifts. Nothing is earned. It's all by his grace, and he really doesn't owe us anything. And third, when we get down, or even maybe we are messing up in our gifting, we got to go back to the price that he paid, because Jesus paid a price for you to know him and for you to love him. And, and that had nothing to do with what you could give him, because you couldn't give him anything. It had nothing to do with our gifting. It had nothing to do with our ministry. It had nothing to do with how good of a husband or father or anything that we are because he did it because he wanted to. He did it out of his grace. And when we, when we dive into gifts, and we're going to be looking at them over the next couple of weeks, I just pray to really keep that in mind. One is lordship, two is grace, and the third um, piece of the price that he paid in order for us um, to know him. And the really cool thing about gifts that Christ has given is they're all meant to glorify him. They're not meant for us to be good at something. It's all for the purpose for him to be magnified. And I'm sure you guys have experienced this, but when you're really operating in the gifting and anointing that God's put in your life, it increases your intimacy with him. And that's part of the reason he's given it, because not only does it glorify him, but it brings us closer to him. That when we're really in obedience and we're doing something that God has really placed in us to do, it's going to create a line from us to him that we wouldn't have otherwise. And I, I know for me, I've really experienced this. It's funny because um, ever since, uh, yeah, I would say if I wasn't just consistently reaching out to the lost, not because I thought I had to, or not always necessarily sharing the gospel, but like getting around broken people. If I wasn't doing that, it wasn't a performance thing if I felt like I had to do that in order for God to be happy with me. 
But it was just something that like was always on my heart to do. And when I was disobedient or just did that my own way, it wasn't that my life, my relationship with Christ fell apart. But there was just like kind of something missing. And there's things I really believe that the Lord has gifted us in and called us to do that when we are um, not necessarily taking up a whole ministry to do that, but we are just active in pursuing what he's called us to pursue. There's an intimacy that he will meet us in that place. It's interesting to me why God told Moses to meet him on Mount Sinai. He could have met him anywhere. Why did Moses have to climb a mountain? And he could have met more with him for five minutes or five days, but he met with him for 40. You know, there were certain things that God asked people in the Bible to do that led them directly to God and built this intimacy and this relationship between them and Christ that they never um, could have had otherwise. There's such power and beauty on the testimony of the Holy Spirit and the work of his giftings, um, but they've got to be in his way and they've got to be by his call. So I want to go back to the analogy really quick. of this car that's taking you to Texas instead of Walmart. How frustrating again would that be? And I want to talk about for us, what does it look like when we're that car that's going to Texas instead of Walmart? What happens to us when we become selfish with the grace and the gifts that God's given us? Gifts are meant to magnify Christ. We talked about that before. And it makes sense because the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ, what's he going to do? He's going to magnify Christ. And if, if the gifts of the Spirit aren't magnifying Christ, that probably means that Christ isn't there. And it really probably means the Holy Spirit isn't the one doing that. Because we can be gifted. Again, some, I don't know if you've ever met anybody who's a very good teacher or a preacher or whatever. If they lost their anointing and really their gifting to do that, they would still know the Bible well. They would still be a good communicator. They can still do the stuff, but Christ would not be magnified in the same way when the Holy Spirit and that gifting rests upon them, that these giftings are for the sole purpose to magnify Christ. And that's a great gauge to know, are we operating in in the true gifting Christ has put in us? Because if we are, he'll be getting magnified. If we're getting magnified or things are just getting done and he's kind of falling in the background, there's a great chance that we are not operating in the gift that Christ has really given us. Now, the second half of this, um, as we're wrapping up, I want to talk about the difference between, we talked about gifts are from God and they're irrevocable by His grace. Gifts are free, and when we're saved, He gives us these gifts. But anointing and the ability to walk out those gifts is not free. It's not free, and we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We've talked about that in our church before. And a great uh, experience I had about this lately was um, Ryan and Gracie got married, so you guys can pray for them. That was Thursday. Um, they're on their honeymoon right now. But for his before the wedding, Ryan wanted to go play football. And I played college football, but I haven't played football in a while. And it was really fun. had a blast. Man, I was so sore the next day. My hips like felt like I was, like I don't know, a lot older than I am now. But it just, I haven't done that in a long time. And the thing God was showing me in that as I was preparing for this was – when, when we don't use it, you lose it. And we say it all the time with sports, you know, muscles. But it's the same with our gifting. Man, if we become stagnant in what Christ has called us to do, we can lose. Not just, again, that gifts are still in us, but the anointing to walk it out. In a weird way, maybe I was anointed to play football in a worldly sense back when I played because I was in shape. I was very tuned up of my skills. I knew the game. I knew the plays. And I was on a team to actually perform what I was doing. 
when I meet in a park with eight guys and play touch football, it's not the same thing, and I'm not I'm probably half as good as I used to be. I'm super sore afterwards. And that's a little bit how these giftings have become. There's a time where the anointing of God can rest on a gift that you see someone, it's like, wow, there's all, the only way they could do that is if Christ lived in them. But you can see that same person three years later, and they become selfish, and they become disobedient, and it's just like, man, it's not that much different than maybe a history lecture or an Amway presentation. Not that those things are bad, but it just becomes worldly, because only by the anointing of God can we really act out our gifts. And like I said, you can see that. Just examples I thought of, a teacher can lose their power in the way they preach. A, a person who has a really servant heart, you can start to see they get burnt out. It's like, man, that person used to be able to do things night and day and just serve people. And pretty soon, it's not that they don't want to do it, but they just get burnt out so easy. Or someone who, who is all over the city, you know, helping people, and all of a sudden, it becomes an obligation. You know, I used to, like, love to cook meals for people. Now, it's like, ah, oh, you know, Jimmy needs another meal again. Instead of that, used to be what they were joyful about. More evangelism. You know, people who are gifted in sharing the gospel, pretty soon they become debaters and apologists and, and people who just want to prove people wrong instead of the love for the gospel and the power of the way they used to share it before. And the cool thing about gifting and anointing, when we're walking in our gifting and we've been anointed by God, again, that brings us intimacy with him because it, allows, it, it requires us to come back to the basics. It requires us to come to repentance, to, to be in the word, to be in prayer, um, to be obedient and most likely, and that, well, for sure, as that gifting turns into anointing, there'll be suffering. That Jesus was said he was made perfect in his suffering. Um, and if Christ, who Hebrew says is the captain of our salvation, was made perfect in suffering, how do we think we're ever going to be made perfect apart from suffering? And he's, he had to do it himself. That there's going to be suffering involved, and it's all going to have to be about Christ. That any time it starts to get off of the lordship of Christ, that anointing and that gifting can really begin um, to suffer and lose shape. So, I don't know how this is going to work. Hopefully this works okay. But I wasn't going to do it, and I just felt really convicted that this is what we need to do this morning. Uh, in 1 Samuel, there is a great scripture about Saul, who is the king of Israel, anointed by God to be king. And he loses his anointing, I mean, his selfishness and his disobedience. And it's kind of a long scripture, but I really felt God was asking us to read this um, today. So it's going to be on the screen. I, I'll pray you can try to read um, excitingly, so it's kind of like a story or something. But it's a great picture of what we're talking about, what it means to walk in anointing, what it means to be partially obedient and selfish before God, where it doesn't become about Him, but it becomes about us and what we can do for Him instead of what He can do through us. So 1 Samuel 15, 10 through 24. Samuel is a prophet. Again, Saul is the king of Israel just to give some context to the story. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and cried out to the Lord all night. Notice right away at the beginning, God doesn't say he's mad at Saul because he wasn't good at being a king or he wasn't a good speaker. He says he has turned his back from him and from keeping his commandments. No longer about God, it was about Saul. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself, not for the Lord, but for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, 
Blessed are you, the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. So now Saul's coming to um, Samuel saying, I did exactly what God told me to do. But we saw that God obviously isn't pleased. So there's something wrong here. God's saying Saul is disobedient. And Saul is saying, blessed are you, the Lord, because I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen sacrificed to the Lord your God, and the rest they've utterly destroyed. See, earlier in the story, God had told Saul, you're supposed to destroy everything. Don't keep sheep, don't keep anything, that, that the Amalekites need to be destroyed and wiped off the face of the earth. But what does Saul do? And he kind of does it. He kills part of it, but he keeps this part for himself. And and he does it in what? In the name of the Lord. He does it because we're going to sacrifice to God, but God didn't ask him to do that. But Saul thought he had something to give to God instead of just being obedient, being his vessel, the way God asked him to be. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribe of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners and the Amalekites and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agog, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. And this part, man, it is so applicable to us. Put it this way. It's like we're starting to see fruit and we're starting to see things that God didn't ask us to do, but we took it on ourselves. And then someone says, man, you shouldn't be doing that. And we say, but how can you say that? Because look at what's happened. There's good things here and there's good things there. But it's not what God has said it's what to do. And that's the same thing Saul's doing. He's saying, how can you say this is bad? Because I have things to offer to the Lord. I've done partial obediences. How could you say I'm wrong? And, and Samuel's like, you, you just don't get it. Because you didn't do what God wanted you to do. You did what you thought was best for God. And there's anything I've learned over the last couple of years is we don't know what's best for God. God knows what's best for God. And he'll tell us. And we just have to listen. But when we take it in our own hands, it will become bad. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which would have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is, is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your word, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. See, Saul got off track because it became about him and it became about the people. He wanted to do what the people said, but he was going to do it not in straight-out rebellion. He wasn't going to say, I'm going to disobey the Lord. He did it in the name of the Lord, and he hid it under his, his desire to serve God, but it was never a desire to serve God. It was really a desire to serve himself and to serve Israel the whole time. Saul did things his way. It was about the people. He did it in the name of the Lord. But I love... This scripture, um, we use it kind of a lot here at Jesus, but um, where in verse 22 it says, So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. 
it is so much better for us to do little things. And maybe all God's asked you to do in this season is really simple. You know, maybe it's to get, get in front of him. Maybe it's to serve in little ways. But we so often want to do the big sacrifice. We want to show people how much we love the Lord or how much we can do or how big our gifting is. And we try to do more than God is asking us to do it. And he says, does, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings or does he just delight in obedience? Does he delight in us coming to him for him? Or does he delight in just what we can do for him? And we look at the scripture for today. There's one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. For to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. The, the gifts that God has given us, they're so powerful, they're exciting, and they have a testimony for Christ. They're going to bring us intimacy with him. They can involve an anointing. All these things that are so exciting. But if we miss that there is one God and Father of all first, if we miss the Lordship, if we miss it's not about what God can do for us or even about you know, his certain characteristics, but if we miss that it, it's all about him, we're going to end up like Saul. We're going to end up serving ourselves. We're going to end up serving people rather than Christ. But when we do step out in obedience and when we do um, listen to how God wants us to use our gifts, and we are the car that's been built and actually goes to Walmart and we're supposed to go to Walmart, it's going to be a great thing. And God's going to do more than you could ever think or imagine through you. He has so much planned for each and every one of us, but he has stuff planned his way. And as soon as we stop doing it his way, Again, from the world, it may look good, and it may be like Saul, look at all this sacrifice we brought to the Lord, but in all the sacrifice that Saul brought to God, what God brought back to Saul was took his anointing, because he didn't want that stuff. Saul was bringing him things that, Saul, uh, that God did not want. Um, but when we will just obey, and there's such a, a, a gift and such a, um intimacy with Christ that's waiting for us in that. Talked about 1 Corinthians 12. We'll be um, closing with this scripture. So if we want to get ready for the offering and bring up um, the worship crew. It says, There are diversity of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. That God is going to give us gifts, he's going to give us callings, and God will lay out our path in the way that he sees fit, and, and the way that he wills. And if we will just be patient, and we will go through the wilderness, and we will go through the time together, and, and that's part of the reason why, you know, if you guys can make it on these Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, that's what we want to do together, is, is to seek God for who God is, and to seek God for how does he want us to um, fit in the body, what does he want Jesus to do, what does he want um, to be done in the city, not just what we want to get done, but that time that we come together corporately is so big um, for that, and um, we can bring up the offering and just want to close um, with this as we go into some worship is God will use his gift, his way, and his timing by his power for his glory and it will all bring us into intimacy with him. I want to pray for our offering. Um, Father God, Lord, we thank you for the way you have provided us here at Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the people who have given God and those who give God. I pray, Lord, that you would bless them, Father, that God would bring them um, closer to you. Lord, that people would give out of um, obligation or um, out of purpose to give you something. Lord, but they give out of anointing, Lord, because it's something that you've asked them to do. God, if we ever have that heart of obligation, Lord, it would be better um, to not do it, Lord, just to come before you and worship you first, God, that you would place on our heart that we desire to give, God, and we desire to invest in your kingdom. Lord, you say to test you in this, God, that one thing you said to test us, and that we would test you in that was that it was.
his gift, Lord, that he would give to you what you say you promise uh, to provide for us um, and the things that we do. Uh, so I just pray, Lord, you bless this offering this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray and believe. Amen. As we close in worship, I just really want us to contemplate, one, why are we coming to God? That we'd be honest with ourselves with that. And second thing, uh, I was talking to Jim this week, and we we used this analogy probably a million times. Um, and he assists and probably heard it a lot of different places. But if you got a cup and it's full with pins and erasers and all this different stuff, and you try to fill it up with water, you can't get very much water in that cup because there's all this stuff still in there. And I really believe, you know, God wants us to get out that selfish desire, get out those things that we think we can give to God, and just receive what he has to give to us because we don't have anything to give him. And so instead of trying to find what we can give to God, see what God just needs to take out of us so we can put what he needs in us. And so I just pray that as we close in worship that we would really contemplate that. If there's, you want to come to the altar, you want to pray with each other, whatever it is, that we would find, you know, repentance isn't a bad word. It's a word that Christ is going to get stuff out of us so he can put the glory of heaven in us. That's a really cool thing. And so that we would find repentance um, this morning for, for the selfishness or the ways that we've tried to drive to Texas and God has asked us to go to Walmart. Um, and we would, we would really ask God to, to clarify that for us today. I pray that we wouldn't leave here um, with, with, without having our hearts assured and clear for Christ. He wants to do that for you. And you will leave this place excited, pumped, zealous, encouraged. Read 2 Corinthians 7 and you'll be ready to go um, for what God has for you.